Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Doug Dewan, and joining me this segment is Aubrey Zoli, Senior Development Manager for the American Cancer Society North Region and Anissa Ishida, Breast Cancer Survivor. Join us as we look at issues that affect us here at home in our community and across the nation. Guys, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, Anissa, I'd really like to start with you because it's not often that we get to hear the experience of a breast cancer survivor. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your, your diagnosis, uh, what it was, what it meant, and kind of secondarily, what's that moment like for a person? Yeah, definitely. Um, so my breast cancer, I found it myself. Um, I wasn't particularly um, proficient at doing self-exams, but I did them enough to know that um when I felt the lump on my left side around December of um, 2017, 2016, um, that it was something different and new and it, it was kind of, you know, startling, but it was around Christmas time. So I definitely put it out of my head, um, you know, pushed it aside. We were traveling. It was when um, UW was in the, um, um, uh, Pac-12 finals. So we were traveling for that. There was like a lot of stuff going on. And um, I met up with some friends Christmas night for a couple of drinks. And one of our friends mentioned that his sister had just gotten diagnosed with breast cancer. So that made me remember my lump, remember, um, you know, that I had just felt it a couple weeks earlier. And that evening I mentioned it to um, my partner, Keith, and I was like, hey, can you feel this? And he was like, yeah, I feel something. And so at that point, I knew it was something, um, you know, everyone kind of tells you when you're young. I was um, 37 at the time. And so under 40, you're kind of told that it's probably nothing. Um, but it took me until the uh, start of the new year to get an appointment. and. I think I'm similar to a lot of people where I didn't even know kind of what to say or who to go to. So I just made a regular doctor's appointment and was like, well, it'll be my, you know, annual wellness appointment. And when I got there, I told my doctor that um, I'd felt a lump. And like I mentioned, she kind of was like, oh, I'm sure it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Um, and she was feeling and kind of not really saying anything. And I was like, oh, do you need me to help you um, find it? And she's like, no, I felt it. And that's when she kind of directed me to um, that I should probably get an ultrasound at that point. And um, I feel like that my decision of where to get my ultrasound really helped my situation a lot. She gave me a couple of choices and I chose to go to, um, at the time it was called Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. And now it's um, Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center. And um, they were amazing. And that process, um, you know, I also chose it because it was close to my office and I could walk and I thought it was, you know, nothing really. And so I got my ultrasound and from there on, it just kind of um, snowballed. They, they were like, oh, we'll need to take biopsies. So I def I got my biopsy. Um, an interesting thing that happened during my biopsy, a student came in and was like, hey, do you mind donating to um, some research? 
And I was like, sure, you know, science, yay. And um, and then that meant that they had to take seven more biopsies. So I didn't realize that was going to happen. But um, but I got my biopsy and then waited a few days and um they called me and told me that it was cancer, but that they didn't really have any other information. And so I should contact SCCA um, that Monday. And so that was a really difficult weekend. It was kind of, um, you know, you get your results in your MyChart and then you just start Googling. And that's really where um, my relationship with the American Cancer Society and using cancer.org came in. Um, I got my pathology report and I, um, and it, all it said was leomorphic lobular carcinoma, which is a bunch of crazy sounding words. And um, so I started Googling it and that was not the right decision um, because you get a lot of science jargon and you get a lot of um, really negative things. Um, mostly because a lot of people that do get cancers are older. And so, um, you know, the, the results are different when you're, you know, 80. And so, um, so I started going on to cancer.org and there was so many resources um, there. It just kind of became my Google anytime I had a question. And um, it was really great for me to find out local um, just information about how my diagnosis wasn't um you know, just this singular thing. There were other people that were going through the same thing. There were resources on communities and also um, kind of just how to find other groups of people, which led me to some um, Facebook groups and things like that. And also led me to finally making strides, um, which I wanted to, you know, start getting involved. So then fast tracking, um, you know, once I got my initial uh pathology reports secca brought me in and um kind of gave me this stellar team of amazing women doctors i had um a surgeon i had my um my main cancer doctor i i didn't even have i didn't have to end up doing radiology but i did have a radiologist on my team and it was just a really comforting um, experience to know that I had a team of capable humans that were going to help me make all these decisions. And um, throughout the process of, of cancer treatment, there's a lot of decisions you have to make. So one of the decisions I had to make was whether or not I was going to, you know, have a lumpectomy because my cancer was only in the left side or um, have a singular um, mastectomy or a bilateral mastectomy. There's all those choices. And, um, you know, you kind of come to those decisions either with the help of your family. I definitely um, leaned on a lot of research because they do give you percentages on um, cancer.org of, um, you know, recurrence rates and different things based off of what your um, diagnosis is. So for me personally, I came to the decision that I was going to have a bilateral mastectomy. I like, I mean, on a personal level, I 
loved my breasts my entire life, but they started to try to kill me. So they had to go. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was a decision I came to. And with being under 40, it kind of puts you into a different category when um, you're diagnosed. So with that comes automatic genetic testing. I don't think they genetically test every cancer um, patient, but under 40, they did. And it came back that I did have the BRCA2 gene mutation. So um, I was scheduled to have surgery two days after my 38th birthday in February of um, 2018, 2017. Oh, gosh. Um, and, um, And so with that gene mutation diagnosis, that actually made the decision that I was going to have a bilateral mastectomy. So I was really happy that I had all of that research and was able to have already come to that decision before I was forced to come to that decision. Um, Because that would have only been a couple days before my surgery, I would have had to wrap my head around the fact that I was going to have a longer recovery. If I had chosen to personally have a lumpectomy, that's a big brain shift from, you know, just having a little bit of your breast removed to having all of it removed. So um, I feel like having access to um, forums and um, scientific information in easy to read way really helped me to get to that to that um, decision before it was made for me. Um, but after that, it was I was basically in the care of my um, treatment team and had my surgery. I did um, four rounds of dose dense um, chemotherapy, and that process was um, you know difficult. But at the same time, I had found um, you know a community of people that had gone through the same thing or similar, and so I had people to lean on through that. Um, and I finished my last round of chemo uh, Memorial Day, and that's kind of when I really started to um, want to give back. I always on my social media told people about my cancer diagnosis, which. Um, was interesting when I told my parents, my dad was like, oh, you're going to tell people? And I was like, why wouldn't I tell people? Uh, but from that, I you know, started to build my team on making strides. I really started to, um, my partner Keith kept a blog of all of my cancer treatment and everything I was going through so that family and friends could follow along. And um And then I created my first team and we really um, enjoyed that first walk. It was at um, walking through the Seahawks stadium. And so, yeah, I I put on a pink wig and and went out there and, um, and walked with my family and some friends. And um, since then I've, I've really leaned on making strides to be kind of my um, North star on like, making sure I'm keeping my community updated on prevention. And, you know, because without, without a cure, prevention's all we have. So making sure you check. And so every time that, you know, we're making um, T 
teams and we're pushing out fundraising information, it reminds me to make sure to put that message in there of, you know, check yourself. Breast cancer isn't just for women as well. And, um, you know, if you're like me and have a gene mutation, that also opens up other types of cancers that you're vulnerable to as well. So, um, you know, prevention and um, checking yourself is key. And also just advocating for yourself. It's the fact that you self-examined to find it, um, the entire treatment, finding communities. I think that's part of what what happens, though, is is fear is is feeling isolated. And so the fact that you were able to find groups and kind of belong to those groups, I, I think, always helps. Do you remember the moment, the first moment that you felt hopeful about your treatment? Definitely. Definitely. Um, my my first meeting with all the doctors and um all of this happened between january like 7th when i got my diagnosis and then i think like three weeks later and so there's that big waiting time and in between that time you're like oh my gosh it's growing and and i'm gonna die and all these scary things and my treatment team said we've got you we've looked at everything. We understand what your treatment's going to be. This is going to be a very hard year, but after this year, you're going to be good. Hmm. And I was like, what? No, that's not how it works. You know, like I've seen Lifetime movies and, and stuff. <laughs> and, and they were like, no, like, really, we really think this will just be a year. And it really was, It, you know, like there's a lot that comes after and, you know, mentally and physically you're not yourself right away but as far as treatment goes um that was the first time when i was like all right you know i'm putting my my faith and my and my care into these women's hands and they did not steer me wrong yeah and uh now aubrey you with your work at the american cancer society hear stories like this all the time i'm sure and and where do you see where do you want american cancer society to fit into all of this how, how does the American Cancer Society make an impact? So, I, you know, I've been doing breast cancer fundraising now for almost 20 years. So I've heard stories like Anissa's um, and, you know, some that don't have that same outcome, obviously, in her situation, advocating for herself, knowing her body, having, you know, access to medical care and having a support network, which is hugely important to people's overall outcome with their treatment. That is something that, you know, doesn't happen for everybody. And we do have patients, unfortunately, who don't have resources, they don't have access to care. And so the American Cancer Society's role is, has always been health equity and making sure that everybody that has a cancer diagnosis has the opportunity to get the treatment that they need to have the care that they need during that treatment, whether that be transportation. I mean, we actually have a saying that your zip code is more important than your genetic code when it comes to a cancer diagnosis. We're very fortunate in Washington to have so many incredible top tier cancer organizations like Fred Hutch um, that are in our backyard. But as you can imagine, even in our own state in rural parts of Washington, that's not the case. We have a significant number of people who come over to the Seattle area for treatment um, that live just on the other side of the mountains because we don't have that same access to care. And so the American Cancer Society provides things like lodging. So if you're living in an area where you don't have access to treatment, you can partner um, with one of our, we don't have a Hope Lodge in Washington, but we do have, um, you know, different 
hotels that we partner with that offer deeply discounted or in some cases free stays. We also provide transportation. So for people who don't have a car or, you know, don't really want to drive when you're going through chemo, we have our road to recovery program, which is made up of volunteer drivers um, that drive people to and from their appointments. And then, of course, you have the network of our community fundraising events, like Anissa mentioned, with Making Strides Against Breast Cancer, our Relay for Life events. Um, we have galas, golf tournaments, a variety of different community events that people can be a part of where you're able to connect with other people that are going through what you've gone through and also the caregivers. You know, we can't forget about the friends and family that are caring for people going through cancer. And we have resources for caregivers as well, where they can have a network to connect with other people that are also caring for people who are going through a cancer diagnosis. So ultimately, the American Cancer Society is here to make sure that anyone that is diagnosed with cancer has the ability to go through that treatment program. And in addition, the other side of it is also the prevention aspect. As Anita mentioned, you know, prevention is something that's incredibly important and early detection is incredibly important to a person's success in their cancer diagnosis. And so we're out there advocating through our ACS CAN, which is our Cancer Action Network, to make sure that people have access to insurance, um, that they have access to those screenings that allow them to find that cancer early so that their options for treatment are that much greater. What should people know about uh, prevention that in your estimation? And now once the the self-diagnosis part, the fact that Anissa found her own lump, that you hear people talk about um, doing your, your own self-exam all the time to actually hear somebody say, that's why I went to the doctor. Um, it, it feels like that that messaging is working. What would you want people to know about prevention? So we have screening guidelines. The American Cancer Society has screening guidelines. And obviously, the number one thing with anybody is to know your own body. And we mm -hmm. don't necessarily advocate. And, and when I say advocate, I don't mean we don't recommend. But as far as um, self-screening in terms of self-breast exam, though most women find their lumps, this is, you know, statistics have shown us most women don't find them through an actual self-exam. They find them just through general touch, whether it's what, you know, in the shower or you just kind of something feels weird and you touch yourself. So most, most women find it and not necessarily mm. through an actual exam. Um, but mammograms are key. We do recommend mammograms um, absolutely starting at 45, but women between 40 and 44 should have an option to get those mammograms. And then we encourage them, um, you know, 55 plus women can switch to every other year or they can do it every year. But then as Anissa mentioned, you know, in her situation, she was diagnosed at a younger age under the age of 40, which, um, you know, we do have women under 40 getting diagnosed where the, the age range definitely jumps 45 plus is where we definitely see a big spike in our in our um, diagnosis. But knowing your family history, so if you have, for example, my mom and my aunt are both breast cancer survivors. My mom was diagnosed in her early 40s. My aunt was diagnosed um, about a decade later. And so I started getting mammograms at age 40 because that was, you know, the age around when my mom was diagnosed. And so that was something I talked about with my doctor. Um, and so as far as the screenings go, it's something that's very personal to each individual person, knowing your family history, finding out if there is any sort of BRCA one or two gene mutations like Anissa mentioned. Um, and that is something that, you know, if someone in your life has had breast cancer, they can get that, um, you know, diagnosis to find out if they have that gene mutation. Um, and then going from there, and there are obviously other cancers, you know, breast cancer is just one cancer that's out there, but knowing your family history in general, because certain cancers, as Anissa mentioned, with the gene mutations can then also increase uh, different cancers down the road. 
And so that's a conversation to have with your own doctor to find out what types of screenings are necessary for you. Again, just to make sure that if you, you know, do happen to find yourself with a cancer diagnosis, you have find it early so that you have, um, you know, the option of more, you know, more treatment options. Um, now, as far as, you know, what our screening recommendations are in terms of your, your own self exams, know your body, advocate for yourself. It's never a bad thing to be doing a self breast exam. Um, but knowing that mammograms are really key and, it, and something that women will find out when they get their first mammogram. Um, is their breast density, which is something that maybe isn't talked about quite as much, mm -hmm. but for women who have dense breasts, that may increase their opportunity to have something like an ultrasound because a mammogram can't necessarily detect um, all the different types of cancer that could occur. And so again, that's something that oftentimes, um, if you had a mammogram, they will tell you your first time, you may get called back. Do not get worried. When it's your first mammogram, they don't have anything to compare it to. And so oftentimes they want to be, you know, on the safe side. And if anything shows up, you, if, again, anyone who's had a mammogram, you're not supposed to wear deodorant when you have a mammogram, if you didn't know this, because some of the metallics and the deodorants can show up as spots um, in the mammogram. Mm. And so that's something that if you haven't had a mammogram yet, know that they may call you back your first time. It doesn't necessarily mean anything is wrong, but if they just want to be safe because they don't have anything to compare it to, um, as well as, again, if you if they find that you have dense breasts, there's four different types of breast density. Um, they may call you back to do an ultrasound, which is just a deeper imaging process to make sure that there's nothing there. Now, this question is honestly for both of you, either of you, uh, whichever wants to go with it, I guess. But somebody listening right now, possible that they have recently just been diagnosed with breast cancer. What would you want them to know? What what is available to them? Uh, what should they be aware of? Um, I can start from the medical side or from the professional side. And then obviously, Anissa, you know, can say from the personal side. Um, first of all, I want those people to know that they're they're not alone. There's a whole network of people out there, whether that be with the American Cancer Society or other organizations. Um, like I mentioned, if you're here in Washington, we have an incredible network of different support groups. Um, but know that you are not alone. It's a very scary time. I understand that. Again, I am not personally a cancer survivor, but I have gone through it with family members. And again, 20 years in this business, um, I have interacted with many people who've experienced that diagnosis. So know that you are not alone. There are resources available to you. Uh, I would direct people to our cancer.org website. You can also call our 800 number. I recommend this to any single person in my life that is diagnosed with cancer. Our 800 number is available 24-7, 365 to answer every single question that you might have and direct you to different resources. Um, the 800 number is 800-227-2344. Sorry, <laughs> 2345. Uh, it's 800-227-2345. So you can call at any time to ask questions and get connected with other people in your area. Um, for breast cancer specifically, we have a program called Reach to Recovery, which pairs newly diagnosed breast cancer survivors with others who have gone through their same type of breast cancer. Um, breast cancer is very unique. There's very, there's different levels of breast cancer. Um, they're not all the same. And so what you have to go through in terms of your treatment, it's not a one size fits all. It's a very, um, you know, specific personalized plan for treatment. And so our program can connect you with other people who've gone through what you've gone through um, just so you have someone else, because as great as your friends and family are, if they haven't gone through it, 
there's parts of it that they're just not going to understand and they're not going to know. And so having a program like Reach to Recovery that allows people to connect with others that have gone through exactly what they're going through is really helpful. I I was going to say the same thing about um, the Reach to Recovery on um, cancer.org that that is a great resource. And then on um, just kind of a personal level, there's a lot of information that will be thrown at um, a newly diagnosed person. So whenever you have a doctor's appointment, record it um, and you can listen back to it because there'll be a lot of, oh yeah, 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 I understand, no questions. And then you get home and you don't remember anything that they said. and just know, as Aubrey said, you're not alone and finding resources with people going through something similar so that you can talk about your fears. You can talk about, you know, how to tell family, how to handle family. Um, that's all really, really helpful. That's actually really interesting. The concept of recording the doctor's visit, because you're absolutely right. You just sit there kind of blank faced and it goes in and it, you don't really digest it because it's stressful to hear. Um, I think that's brilliant and a great suggestion. Uh, and then uh, beyond beyond the actual treatment, beyond the actual diagnosis, there are the events. So coming up, uh, you have a couple events, uh, Pink at the Park and Making Strides. Can you tell me about those? Yeah, so we're very excited this year. Our Making Strides Against Breast Cancer is happening on Saturday, October 21st at Gasworks Park. Our Making Strides events, it's the largest network of breast cancer events across the country. We have over 150 walks. They are non-competitive 5K walks. So our walk in Seattle, it's just a walk. It's not a run. Uh, We start at Gasworks Park and then we walk into downtown Fremont and loop back to Gasworks Park. Our event is family friendly. It's actually dog friendly. We have a little bark for breast cancer doggy costume contest that we do after the walk. And so you can find out more information about the event at makingstrideswalk.org forward slash Seattle Law, WA, um, to get information. There's no registration fee. It's a fundraising event. So we certainly encourage folks to fundraise. Um, our goal this year is $190,000. And we're very excited to be back at Gasworks. And uh, you can form a team and walk with your family and your friends. We are also looking for companies that might be interested in sponsoring the event. So if there are any companies that are wanting to step up in the breast cancer fight, you can also connect with us about sponsorship. And then Pink at the Park is something that we started last year. We've had a great relationship with the Seattle Mariners. They've come out to our event the last few years, bringing the Seattle uh, Mariners moose out to cheer on the participants. And so we started last year our Pink at the Park, which is a special block of tickets that we have and $10 of each ticket sold to that game through our website comes back to Making Strides. Our game this year is the last game, the last regular season game. It's October the 1st. It's a Sunday uh, game. And so the tickets in our um, in our block are $45 for the lower level tickets, the 100 level. And then for the 300 level, they're $28. And $10 of that comes back to Making Strides. And you also get a special Pink at the Park t-shirt uh, that you get to pick up on game day to where to turn the stadium pink. So you can find out more information about that at mariners.com forward slash pink at the park. So I think the last thing that I want to ask then uh, is pretty straightforward, pretty simple. And it's to Anissa. Uh, When somebody calls you a survivor, what what does that mean to you? I mean, 
I went through a battle and that I'm constantly fighting to make myself, myself hard to kill. <laughs> um, hmm. And so it, it happened from the day of diagnosis, I think until the end, you're just constantly fighting. So you're a survivor, whether you've um, succumbed to cancer or not, you're a survivor. Uh, Anissa, Aubrey, thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything left that either one of you would want uh, anyone out there to know? I just wanted to make a note to mention um, the thrivers in our community and the American Cancer Society defines a survivor as anyone who has had a cancer diagnosis anywhere in their stage, whether they're recently diagnosed or whether they have gone through treatment. Um, but we also have our thrivers, which are our metastatic uh, cancer patients. And so we do have a lot of those in our area. And I think one thing that's important to recognize with our thrivers is the opportunities for longevity with metastatic breast cancer or other cancers has gotten has gotten so much further um, just even in the last decade. And so having a metastatic diagnosis, there are, um, you know, this, that's stage four cancer is essentially what a metastatic diagnosis is. And so we want to make sure to celebrate and honor those in our community that are also dealing with metastatic breast cancer um, and know that there is a place for you in our Making Strides community and the American Cancer Society. And we have resources available and the American Cancer Society is actively working on um, several research grants that are specific around metastatic breast cancer um, so that, you know, when someone gets a stage four diagnosis, they know that they have more options um, than, you know, they may have had a decade or so ago. So just want to recognize our thrivers. And then again, our caregivers in our, in our area. So if you are someone who has recently had someone in your life diagnosed with any type of cancer, please know that the American Cancer Society also has resources for you as well, because that's a whole separate experience that a caregiver goes through when they're, you know, watching someone that they love go through a cancer diagnosis.